Icterus, more commonly known as jaundice, is derived from the Greek word icteros, also meaning yellow bird. In some ancient medical traditions, it was believed that ailments could be cured with things that were similar to them. Seeing this bird could cure jaundice, but at the expense of the bird's life. We know now that jaundice in itself is not a diagnosis, but can be a sign of a variety of medical conditions ranging from benign to fatal. A patient presenting with jaundice should prompt investigations to determine the underlying cause, as it can be suggestive of, among other things, impaired hepatic function. Today, our patient has acute liver failure and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled, What's the Delia? An Approach to Acute Liver Failure. Time for a minute physiology. Acute liver failure is defined as liver injury associated with hepatic encephalopathy and coagulopathy, which is defined by an INR of greater than 1.5. It must be in a patient who does not have known pre-existing liver disease, and overall illness duration must be less than 26 weeks. The mechanism for acute liver failure and its systemic complications is explained by initial insult leading to hepatocyte necrosis. This results in decreased synthetic and metabolic function and subsequent impairment of gluconeogenesis, lactate, and ammonia clearance, as well as synthetic capacity. These are manifested clinically as hypoglycemia, lactic acidosis, hyperammonemia, and coagulopathy. Drugs are the most common cause of acute liver failure in North America and Western Europe. This can either occur in a dose-dependent fashion, for instance in the case of acetaminophen, or a dose-independent or idiosyncratic mechanism. Common medications that behave in this manner include antiepileptic agents, antibiotics, and NSAIDs. Other causes of acute liver failure are viral hepatitis, caused by hepatitis A, B, or E, as well as VZV, HSV, or CMV, autoimmune liver disease, ischemic hepatitis, either in the setting of hypotension or Bud-Chiari syndrome, or metabolic causes, such as Wilson's disease. In the context of pregnancy, it's important to consider fatty liver of pregnancy, severe preeclampsia, or HELP syndrome. Alright, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. Patients with acute liver failure may present with a broad range of symptoms including altered LOC, general malaise, right upper quadrant pain, and jaundice. A high degree of clinical suspicion is required to make the diagnosis, as initial symptoms can be nonspecific. Your first step will be to assess your patient's stability. These patients can commonly present with hemodynamic instability on the basis of systemic inflammation and vasodilation, leading to hypotension. Important questions to consider when assessing these patients are, what is their GCS? Are they protecting their airway? What are their vitals? as this will guide immediate interventions and disposition. On history, it is important to elicit the duration of symptom onset and make note of pertinent risk factors for acute liver failure, such as recent medications including both prescription and over-the-counter medications, mushroom ingestion, alcohol, travel history, intravenous drug use, immunosuppression, and any prodromal illness. 
Collateral history may be helpful for assessing subtle features of encephalopathy, or in cases of severe encephalopathy, may be the only history available. It is essential to perform a thorough neurologic exam, as hepatic encephalopathy is a key feature of acute liver failure. Hepatic encephalopathy can be graded using the West Haven criteria on a scale of 1 to 4, where grade 1 involves mild confusion and sleep reversal, to grade 4, which is comatose. Asterixis is typically seen in patients with grade 2 encephalopathy or higher. Patients with acute liver failure and high-grade encephalopathy may also have associated clinical features of cerebral edema and or elevated intracranial pressure, such as Cushing's triad or abnormal pupillary responses. You should also assess the patient for jaundice, as well as perform a focused abdominal exam for right upper quadrant tenderness, hepatomegaly, and presence of ascites. It is also important to look for any stigmata of chronic liver disease, as this may change your diagnosis and subsequent management. Your workup in acute liver failure will be geared towards both identifying the cause of acute liver failure as well as prognosticating the degree of liver failure. A good starting point includes a CBC, electrolytes, extended electrolytes, liver enzymes including ALT, AST, ALP, GGT, liver function tests including albumin, bilirubin, glucose, as well as coagulation studies such as PTINR and PTT, an ABG, and a lactate. Respiratory alkalosis is often observed in patients with acute liver failure. Creatinine and urea should also be ordered, as AKI is present in greater than 50% of patients with acute liver failure. A pregnancy test is recommended in women of childbearing age. To investigate the cause of acute liver failure, all patients should have a full panel of viral serologies, including hepatitis A through E, HSV, VZV, CMV, blood and urine tox screen, acetaminophen level, as well as an autoimmune workup, including ANA, anti-smooth muscle, anti-liver kidney antibodies, and quantitative immunoglobulins, and ceruloplasmin. Routine lab investigations can also give clues as to what the etiology may be, but should not be used to definitively rule in or rule out causes. For example, a low ALP and ALP Billy ratio of less than 2 can be suggestive of acute liver failure from Wilson's disease. Imaging is also essential in unmasking the etiology of acute liver failure. Either abdominal ultrasound with Doppler or a CT with contrast should be ordered to rule out Bud Chiari. In some cases, a liver biopsy may be required if the etiology is unclear or in order to confirm a suspected diagnosis such as autoimmune hepatitis. The most important treatment of acute liver failure is an early involvement of critical care and consultation with a transplant center. Early identification of patients who may benefit from liver transplantation is essential in decreasing overall mortality. Important prognostic factors of patients who may require transplant include degree of encephalopathy, age, and cause of liver failure. Both the King's College and MELD criteria can be used to identify patients who may benefit from transplantation. For pre-transplant management or patients who are not candidates for transplant, the fundamentals of managing acute liver failure can be broken down into general management and disease-specific treatments. General management includes correcting metabolic derangements, managing coagulopathy, treating encephalopathy, 
as well as managing any concurrent AKI. Some medications, including NAC, may also be helpful. It is important to note that the INR and thrombocytopenia may not be reflective of true bleeding risk. In the absence of clinically significant bleeding or high-risk procedures, routine bleeding prophylaxis with FFP or platelet transfusion is not recommended. With respect to management of encephalopathy, lactulose should be given either orally or rectally to target at least four bowel movements per day. The addition of rifaximin can also be considered. In patients who progress to high-grade encephalopathy and who are not protecting their airway, intubation and admission to a critical care unit can be considered. Furthermore, patients who develop encephalopathy with increased ICP may also benefit from treatment including hypertonic saline, mannitol, as well as hyperventilation. The concurrent AKI most often represents a hepatorenal syndrome. Management of the concurrent AKI will include avoiding nephrotoxic medications, maintaining adequate tissue perfusion, and initiating renal replacement therapy if dialysis is required. Renal replacement therapy may also help improve encephalopathy as ammonia is dialyzable. However, initiation of any type of renal replacement therapy should be discussed with the hepatologist, nephrologist, and the patient as well as the patient's loved ones, given the risks of dialysis and potential for lifelong dependence on dialysis, especially in the absence of transplantation. N-acetylcysteine, or NAC, for a treatment of acute liver failure from acetaminophen overdose is well described in the literature and it should be considered for all patients in which the cause of acute liver failure is not known, as there may be some therapeutic benefit and the risk profile of the medication is low. Etiology-specific treatments may include nucleoside analogs in the case of hepatitis B, acyclovir in the setting of HSV, and consideration of TIPS, thrombolysis, or surgical decompression in the setting of Bud Chiari. On to our medicine minute. NAPQI is a toxic metabolite that is formed during acetaminophen metabolism and is usually broken down by the body's own stores of glutathione. However, when acetaminophen is taken in large quantities, there's insufficient glutathione to manage the amount of NAPQI, leading to hepatocyte damage. N-acetylcysteine, used as an antidote, is converted to glutathione in vivo, working to replete the body's own stores to manage NAPQI. Somewhat ironically, glutathione is also abundantly found in grape skin and is important in winemaking, contributing to both the aroma and flavor of the final product. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled What's the Delio? An Approach to Acute Liver Failure. This episode was written by Dr. Fiona Milne, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Melissa Kelly, gastroenterologist and hepatologist, and Dr. Jijin Wu, general internist. This episode was recorded by Allison Lai. Sound editing by Nathan Dupnik. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and is executively produced by Allison Lai, Leah Karanopoulos, and Zara Morali. Theme song by Lakshma Fazantha Mohan. As always, we have an associated infographic at our website at www.theinternetwork.com. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe it wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you again soon.